This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, Episode 63. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to our podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. On the podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement to give you both angles of discussion. Today, in studio, I'm joined by Steve Moses, and we're going to talk about basically injured shooting or what to do when you are, as Daryl would say, the wounded baby gazelle at the watering hole. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Excess Sights at excesssights.com. Photoluminescent and tritium technology sites for all your handguns, rifles, shotguns, etc. Check them out at excesssites.com. Newest sponsor, Elite Survival Systems, product for your EDC needs since 1979. Don't just survive, thrive at elitesurvival.com. Check out the Guardian and Stealth uh, SBR packs. I just got their range bag, as I talked about, and carried it out at the uh, Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup at Gunsight a couple weeks ago. Also, ccwsafe.com, legal service membership for concealed carriers and off-duty LEOs. If you want to save 10% off your membership, enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. And of course, EDC Belt Company at edcbeltco.com. Last week, I forgot to mention the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Uh, Last week's winner was Chad B., who won a Pitbull Tactical Magazine Carrier. And next week, they're giving away my my favorite product that they have currently, well, actually one of three that I really like other than the ear pro is the MCF spark flashlight. You've heard me talk about it on the podcast before it's a little micro flashlight with 500 plus lumens and, uh, Steve's pulling one out of his pocket. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest in studio for the first time ever. You got the quick tour of the, uh, the dominium down here, the, the, the modified fortress, uh, and, uh, got to actually be in studio. Steve is here with us today or with me today. And, uh, well, you've got a bit of an accoutrement on your left hand there. So tell me about that. Uh, yes, sir. And first of all, uh, I very much admire your podcast room. I find it indeed to be impressive. Uh, <laughs> Second, uh, I broke my scaphoid bone probably 10 years ago. Scaphoid bone is a large bone uh, that's located in your wrist. There's actually six bones in your wrist in the bottom three. Uh There's a bone called the scaphoid. Uh, When it breaks, a lot of times it does not get a good blood supply. It doesn't heal back, and my wrist started to collapse. Uh, In order to just prevent perhaps a really, you know, for me, a devastating injury and surgery. I recently underwent what is called a partial row carpectomy. And uh, basically what they do is they open up the back of the wrist and they remove the bottom three bones oh, wow. out of the six. And so I've had those removed. It was a fairly traumatic recovery in terms of had a lot of issues initially with uh, you know, swelling and pain and everything. I've really had to make adjustments. I'm about uh, two weeks out right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm mending very well, not in pain, but basically my ability to use my left hand and even left arm is just severely impaired. Wounded and injured. So I've had, I've had a tear in my shoulder that happened in 2015. And for like a month uh, before I could go back to work, I was toting a toting a pistol left-handed because I couldn't draw from a right-handed holster. I just couldn't get enough clearance and I had to actually start carrying smaller guns. 
just because of that minor injury, but glad to hear yours is healing up. Um, I got to re-aggravate mine last weekend at DB shotgun class. So that was fun, but, uh, luckily it's mended to the point, but that brought the, that brought the, uh, subject matter of, uh, to, to hearken DB's phrase, what, you know, don't be the wounded gazelle at the watering hole. Like, what do you do if you are? And, you know, we just talked about some injuries. Um, so what do you, what do you have to do to accommodate that? Cause there's some watering holes that we absolutely have to go to, to function as human beings, well, grocery store, you know, things like that. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to modify that, uh, phrase a little bit uh-huh. and substitute maybe something else, uh, <laughs> as opposed to gazelle, because we actually do have some defensive tools. Okay. Uh, we, everything else is true. We do have to go to the water hole. Uh, we are injured. It makes us more susceptible to being uh, chosen and attacked. But I want to kind of maintain that uh, mentality that, yeah, I do still have weapons on my person. Right. And I have skills. Uh, indeed, I have the tools. And uh, I just need to now kind of work on my mindset. And I need to be very careful to choose where and when I visit the water hole, uh, where I drink from the water hole, and uh, basically really heighten up the uh, situational awareness. I'd like to, you know, go ahead and make reference to uh, a comment that Claude Werner uh, made one time that I just thought was brilliant, which is Claude talked about the difference between general awareness and situational awareness being as follows. General awareness is when you are driving from your home to your office and you're taking the same route. It's an ordinary day. You know the route. You don't have heavy traffic. You can actually drive and safely, uh, we'll use the term daydream. Okay. Give some thought to tasks you have to do that day or projects you want to undertake. You've got a little bit of an opportunity there to, you know, go ahead and divert some of your attention from driving to, you know, what's going on in your mind, but you're still aware of all the other traffic. And if something is taking place, you're in a position where you can react to it. However, if you are driving in a heavy rain, everything changes because one, you cannot, uh, your braking will take longer to accomplish your visibility uh, is impaired. The same is true for other drivers, and you just cannot control what other drivers do. And so now kind of the way I look at it is that anytime I'm outside of my house, I'm no longer in pretty much a general awareness state. I'm in a situational awareness state anytime that I am around other people or places where other people could be. Yeah, I, it's funny, right before uh, right before you came here, I was at a convenience store around the corner that is known for heavy transient activity and uh, had two of them about to duke it out right outside of my door right before you called me. And, uh, you know, in my current state, I thought, it's just me. I'm perfectly equipped to handle this, and I need to take care of some business before I get back to, you know, the studio here to record. So, yeah, and luckily nothing happened. Uh, Didn't dive off into anything weird, but... The, but had I had maybe an injury or one hand that doesn't work, et cetera, something to that effect, I probably would have backed out of the parking lot and went somewhere else, you know? So 
I get it. Uh, so it, it basically has to kind of heighten. This is going to sound weird. Heighten your state of awareness when you're not a hundred percent, you know, limbs and uh, tools that you you would use to, you know, defend yourself from an attack. So I like that example, that driving example, because I think that's something everybody can relate to. Is yeah, I, I think I appreciate Claude doing that. I thought that was brilliant. And again. Not only is my situational awareness heightened, or I have it dialed on more often, but I'm also very much aware of, uh, A, my limitations, and B, the fact that uh, I'm in a hard cast, and I will be for probably another two months. Oh, wow. And so that in itself is a clear indication that uh, I'm, I'm visually, I'm, I'm injured, I'm impaired to uh, some extent. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. The visual cue of somebody that's looking predatory would see that as a, uh, a potential disadvantage for you. And, you know, whether it is or not is questionable, but uh, <laughs> we wouldn't be here talking about it if it wasn't. So what, uh, that kind of covers a lot of the, the, the mindset stuff too, but let's dive into that. Like some examples of, you know, I kind of gave the example of, okay, here I am. I'm I'm 42. I'm, I'm equipped to the, the teeth here to deal with stuff. And I see this situation unfolding and know, okay, I can keep, you know, I can keep my distance from it. I can, I have the ability to mitigate some of that risk, whereas you may not. So how does, like, like I said before, my mindset on that was, well, I, I'm equipped to deal with it. And let's just hope nothing happens. Uh, let me go get my business finished. But if you're in a state where you're not a hundred percent, you know, a physical state that might drive your decision-making in a different direction. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like you still have to function in daily life. You still have to go to the grocery store, the gas station, the, all the places that uh, bad stuff tends to happen to good people. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, in regard to that, uh, I've always adopted that mindset, and the older I get, regardless of injury, uh, the less drama uh, I'm fond of. And so (laughs) I make a great effort to just stay away from anything that could, as Jeff Gonzalez would say, mudsuck me in, (laughs) where basically, you know, emotion trumped, you know, a rational rational response. Uh, To that end, uh, I'm even more committed— to that, and which means basically some things that where I might, you know, linger in this situation mm-hmm. a little bit longer or go ahead and go to this position because I need to. And it's a little bit dicey, but I'm pretty confident that I can manage it. Uh, right now, I've just completely said, just stay away from that. Uh, I choose when I wear to, I go to places. If I look around and I don't like what I'm seeing, I simply don't go. Uh, even going back to the water hole, uh, you know, analogy. Uh, and again, you know, I kind of think of all the videos I've seen, you know, of African antelope and, right. you know, such, you know, drinking at the water hole and, you know, being seized by crocodiles <laughs> right. and uh, lionesses and, uh, and leopards. I'm like going... Maybe I need to pick my spot on that water hole where, one, I am very much aware that it's going to be very difficult for something to sneak up from me and behind. 
And I'm also in a portion of that water hole. And I, I know these analogies are just getting weaker and weaker, <laughs> but I'm drinking in shallower and shallower water right. where, you know, that 18-foot, you know, saltwater crocodile is unable to reach up there and go crocodile Dundee on me. Yeah, without you seeing it well in advance, right? So in terms of what I might actually do is just, uh, you know, pick carefully the locations that I'm going to go to and the hours uh, when I enter that parking lot. Uh, may want to make a drive around the parking lot and just see if there's anything I need to be aware of. Uh, how close can I park? If it's at night, I try not to go out at night. Can I park under a light? And then the other thing that I do, Brian, is I spend very little time getting out of my car and in my car. Yeah. Basically, I get out of my car and I start work a, a walking and I walk with a purpose. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't kind of plot along leisurely and everything, I move like I'm going somewhere. And so I want to go ahead and just kind of give that impression that not only am I aware, but, you know, I've got control of, you know, myself from a physical perspective. And I think, you know, hopefully that would deter somebody from wanting to choose me. Yeah. The uh, Pat Mac phrase is five and 25. Take, you know, when you, you park or you're in a parking lot, you want to make sure you're completely aware of everything at five meters, five yards, and 25 yards. And, nice. and I like the way he summed it up. He did it in a, in a video a while back about, you know, he pulls into the parking lot and takes a deliberate pause to look at everything immediately around his car and everything within that 25-yard span. Uh, and if he does see someone, he makes a point to make eye contact with them. And I thought, man, that's, that's a really simple thing you can do to let, predatory animals know that hey i know you're here too brief eye contact absolutely absolutely now some people take that into well i'm going to actually kind of give them the hairy eyeball so they know how yeah. dangerous i am and all that going okay well there's this action called disrespecting right <laughs> and uh, that's not something that we want to encourage uh instead it's much better to just give a quick glance at that person you briefly make eye contact and then you continue on. If that person seems to take a little bit of offense, if you just simply give a nod of your head, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It tends to, you know, kind of tone down some of those situations. Yeah. And he, he seemed like he said he does that with uh, while his car is still running. So that, hey, if I got a boogie or I got to move, yeah, this, this is a good time to do it, right? Uh-oh, I see something bad. I can just, you know, move the shift lever to R and, and uh, you know, hastily retreat, but. Yeah, there's uh, the the mindset stuff is really important when you're when you're not a hundred percent, and then which knowing that uh, in your particular instance you you know you're kind of one handed currently, so that's going to drive your choice of gear pretty pretty substantially, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I've got three main pistols that uh -huh. I carry routinely. Uh, one is going to be a Smith & Wesson 442 Airweight oh, wow. 38 Special. Yeah. Uh, the other one is a uh, Glock 48, or not the other one, but the next one is a Glock 48, and the third one is a Glock 19 with a Holosun oh, okay. red dot sight. And so basically what I've done is I've kind of tried carrying all of them a little bit to see what probably works the best for me. And uh, what I'm down to now 
is uh, when I'm at my house and on my property, I carry a uh, my 442 in an appendix holster. Uh, occasionally, I'll carry it in a pocket holster, but mostly an appendix holster. Uh, when I go to work out, I carry I carry my revolver. Yeah. Uh, again, to me, going to a gym, which is basically a uh, no firearms. It's not a no firearms allowed, but people just don't wear firearms in there. Right. So the chances that someone going into the gym or out of the gym and being armed are relatively slim. Right. I, I think that uh, predators know that. Uh, and, or the forty-eight or the nineteen. I actually found after a while. I was just not comfortable with the 19. That was a little bit too much. Uh, the 48 seems to be probably my default, unless I'm doing what I said earlier with the uh, 442. And so, you know, it's a nice slimline pistol. It still holds uh, 10 rounds. One of the things I immediately did when I knew I was going to have the surgery is I changed out, made sure I had new magazines in it with new magazine springs, uh, changed out my recoil spring. I uh, broke it down, cleaned out the extractor, need to make sure that my chances of uh, having a malfunction have been diminished. Uh, I did get a lot of training in the past in how to clear malfunctions and do uh, emergency reloads and speed reloads uh, one-handed, but by the same token, I haven't done enough reps that I would feel real comfortable that, okay, I can do that as quickly under stress as I need to. Yeah. One of the the interesting things that body camera footage is showing us is a lot of our, you know, quasi hundred percent reliable semi-auto handguns tend to get very questionable when there's an injury involved. There's, you know, I'm shooting it in space of a car, uh, like the interior of a car, uh, or I'm in that situation where I don't have the ability to get bone structure behind the gun exactly and uh i think that's one of the places that a revolver comes in really really applicable um so you know and especially me just coming back from the revolver roundup of course i'm geeked out with (laughs) revolvers right now uh reconnected with a a part of myself that i thought i had put you know put uh, made peace with but uh i find myself carrying a j-frame a lot and one-handed you can pretty much guarantee that gun's going to go bang. Um, there's just not a lot of things, especially 442, 642 with the internal hammer, not a lot of things that can get in there and foul that gun. Um, the downside is you got five and that's it. You're, you're probably wounded. You're not going to pull a reload off. So uh, I've kind of taken to sometimes I'll carry two, <laughs> you know, and, uh, in the the words of Hanny McMood, you know what's better than you know a great 1911. I'm like, what? And he goes, the two revolvers you're carrying with it. There we We're go. Like, okay. So, uh, Hanny shared with me. Uh, he he was doing some business and had to uh, go into one of the sheriff's facilities and had. Uh, he said there was a young man with him, and they were they were going through some pro- some process with the reserve deputy stuff and. He said they had to put their guns in a gun locker and uh, they opened the gun locker and the kid says, well, can I share? And he goes, yeah, give me just a second. And he said, I, I take the 1911, two spare mags. I pull a J frame off my ankle. I take one out of my pocket and I pull a, I don't know, model 27 or something off, off of my small of the back essentially. And he goes, can your pistol fit in there with that? You know, <laughs> like 
because and Hanny is a you know he's a guy that more guns better um and then he had speed loaders for everything in his pocket and uh you know he's in a business suit and this he said this kid just looked at him kind of wide-eyed like you're hiding all that stuff why and he goes well you know the chances of you reloading are pretty slim but you can always get you know i you know throw that one down and grab another gun it's easier than trying to make one work so uh, but I've got a real fondness for the revolver now, uh, especially now that I've got some good gear for it since wilderness started making the renegade again, uh, which was my favorite ankle rig back in the day. And then I got from Tim Leahy, I got a Cape Buffalo, uh, pocket holster and, uh, you know, there's something to be said for having your hand in your pocket and being it basically Daryl describes it as covered low ready. I like that. I, I it's you know, it's the same, it's almost the same as me having, having the gun out and pointed, pointed down, pointed in a safe direction, but you know, you're, you're all but ready to shoot and it's in your pocket. And, uh, you know, for somebody that's injured and like you're wearing a hoodie, you know, have that pocket holster in the front of a hoodie somewhere where it doesn't, it looks inconspicuous for you to have your hands in your pockets. And they're just, you, I thought we had, I thought we had put the revolver to bed. And the more I'm uh, getting distancing from police work and getting on to normal earth people life, the more appreciation I have for it. Yeah, especially and for one-handed shooting, the bit the, the one place that I can hang a semi-auto up is, you know, off-gun hand shooting. You don't have that issue with the revolver. You just, you know, you're not, you're not reliant on the ammo to cycle that gun and having enough meat behind the gun to get it to cycle. So the uh, only caveat I have yeah. to that, and I, I, I dearly love my four, four, two. I have my backup is a performance center four, four, two. Matter of fact, I haven't even shot it yet. Uh, is that, uh, I think a concealed carrier that goes that route needs to get some time behind that gun. And in addition, Getting some professional training. Yeah, uh, I've actually I got mine initially from John Farnham. I shot him for years. Kind of went dark on him. Got interested. We had Handy teach a revolver class. Mm-hmm. Got fired up on it. Did the Range Master Master class. Uh, there was a you know a lengthy block on revolvers, which was great for me because. And the thing is, is that a firing a snubby one handed with accuracy much past five years, I mean, five yards, uh, I tell you what, that's going to require some dedication on the part yeah. of the person. So if you've done nothing but semi-autos, then my recommendation is, it's like, well, it's not that. Well, just consider that. It's like, no, go get a revolver, learn how to use it, but don't say, okay, well, today I'm just going to carry a snubby yeah. instead of you know my trusty, you know, Glock 34 with a compensator and a red <laughs> dot and, you know, a tungsten recoil pad. I mean, recoil spring. But uh, absolutely, uh, my the guns I carry the most are going to be my 442 and my uh, Glock 48. Yeah. that uh, And there's some other some other things with the, the snubby, that whole snubby lifestyle that come into play that, you know, it even to the untrained person, that looks pretty innocuous compared to, you know, a decked out Glock with optics and lasers and flashlights and all those things. And, uh, I, I, I went to a shotgun class with Daryl and he coined a phrase that I am totally going to steal. Well, I'm not going to steal. I'm going to borrow it from him. 
and he called it, you know, the lieutenant test. And I went, wow, where's this going? And it was about, hey, you know, if you're involved in a self-defense situation, the next test you're going to pass is the lieutenant test. That's when the lieutenant gets there to the scene and makes the determination of who's going to jail. And he said, you know, so like, for instance, you're in your home, you've got a carbine with a pistol brace and a laser and a set of nods and a bump helmet and all this stuff. And you, you ventilate some home invader. Uh, it's kind of going to look like, uh, not so how to say it, it's just going to offend the conscience of the non gun toting public. So you're probably going to take the ride to jail. Now your duck shot got in the corner with the, you know, a 20 inch, 22 inch barrel and wood stocks and all this stuff. And well, that doesn't look so bad. Kind of like, you know, if you're involved in something away from the home, well, you know, a, a rolling special Glock is real cool and they shoot real fun. Uh, but a five shot revolver, well, there's a chance probably somebody in the crowd that's interviewing one's got one on their ankle. So it doesn't have that, that perception issue, which, you know, in the times that we live in is now a thing, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago, it probably wasn't so much, but, um, so that's another place that I kind of look at the, the snub kind of fits in that. Well, it's a niche. It's an absolutely niche gun that I I don't think anything else competes with it. Yeah. And, and on the niche, I kind of go, well, it's, it's a niche that fits a lot of the role that I would use a, 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 a defensive firearm for, you know, uh, and especially, you know, being one handed and injured, you know, especially in an entanglement, cause the bad guy's got to get close enough to you to assault you, you know, the chances of you hanging that gun up are, are just greatly reduced over maybe something semi-auto. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I carry mine so much, but like for instance, on a trip to Oklahoma city, anytime that I'm out in an urban area where there's a lot more people, uh, I'm going to go ahead and carry, you know, something that's got a little <laughs> bit more uh, capacity. And one of the things also that I had to learn how to do, it took me a while with my hand being in the way it is, is how to do a reload of a snubby yeah. because my wrist is that won't bend. And so basically I almost have to turn it upside down, insert it so that the cylinder's on the inside of yeah. my hand and then do that. Okay. Once I figured it out, it's like, okay, so now I know what I'm, I know what I'm going to do. Which, which brings up uh, kind of the third and final piece is uh, we got the, we got the gear thing. So, you know, select the gear that works for you and then dry practice. Um, you know, you meant, you just mentioned that and people can't see it, that you had to turn the, the gun upside down and over and kind of hook it on your thumb there or whatever it was to reload it. Well, how did you figure that out? Uh, well, basically I went out and I started doing dry practice and there I dry is. practiced with everything I had, which included my, uh, 442, my 19 and my 48. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, I noticed very quickly is that we typically, uh, if we're into the, what I refer to as the explosive draw, I think a quick draw is important. I don't get too wrapped around how quickly you could get off that first shot. I do get wrapped around how quickly you can get that gun in between you and the other person. Uh, one, I want it done quickly. And secondly, ideally, I would like it to almost look explosive as to, oh, 
just what happened, I want to kind of, you know, upset that guy's OODA loop. Uh, most of us practice our draw in order, if speed is the name, is we will clear our cover garment with our support hand and with our, yeah, with our support hand and go right to the butt of the gun with the dominant hand. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't work anymore. Right. So basically, it's just a slight modification of that is I practice by grabbing my uh, cover garment with my strong hand, tucking it behind the butt of the gun, mm-hmm. and then clearing it, and then clearing the holster. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm probably a half second slower mm-hmm. than I would be normally in terms of getting that gun out. But, you know, that half second, uh, that just means I need to make it up on the front Right. So that I don't need, you know, that half second's not going to cost me big time. And so I think people need to work that out, which also means uh, take a look at the uh, garment that you're wearing that day. And so it doesn't hurt, you know, every time you get dressed and you put on that gun to go ahead and do a few dry practice. I mean, empty gun draws. Don't draw a loaded gun in your house. Right. Go ahead make sure it's dry and do that. So, okay, I've got that dialed in. And the other thing that I'm going to throw out in favor of a revolver is that it's much easier to get in and out of dry practice mode with a revolver than it is with a semi-auto when you've got one hand that's completely out of action. Because then I find clearing my firearm actually involves me using, after I drop the mag, I either have to use the front of the optic or the back of the rear sight Uh in order to rack the slide. And do that. As a matter of fact, I can't even load my magazine. And so I'm like going, okay, okay. So maybe part of it is I'm going to do the majority of my dry practice with my revolver yeah, and carry my semi-auto some. But I need to get in those reps of being able to clear that, feel confident about it, and uh, then be able to get my hands on that gun. Uh, we teach a class that's called Managing Dangerous uh, Threats in Public Areas. And uh, one of the things that we do is uh, during the warm-up stage is we have our students draw from various positions, like, for instance, hands in your pocket, then hands together in a benevolent position, hands in the fence position, hands in the air. And what we do is we want you to be able to go straight from there and feel confident with your draw as opposed to you start kind of doing the whole gunfighter thing when Uh you start seeing the gun hand go for the gun. Uh, we want to be able to be comfortable that from any position, we can get that uh, cover garment in our hand and uh, clear it and get that gun in our hand. Yeah, that uh, start position thing—that's <laughs> that's one of my pet peeves, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned now. If I'm a, if I'm trying to clear a six plate rack from a draw, of course we're going to do the you know we're going to do the magnum shuffle as I call it, or the mm-hmm. you know uh, just hands my my like you couldn't measure the distance between the gun and my hand with a micrometer if you tried you know but for defensive work man like that is a huge thing hey draw one-handed from your appendix rig draw one-handed from your you know your three o'clock on the hip rig uh draw from your how one of the things i saw at the revolver roundup chuck haggard put on an ankle rig class how many times have you seen that in the last decade? Never. <laughs> exactly. And you had dudes working from an ankle rig and, uh, you know, 
I know I'm, I'm only 42, but, uh, a lot of the work that I did young in my police career was, was based around a, a snubby with, you know, on the ankle and you can't have the cool guy tapered pants when you do that, or it just doesn't work. Uh, so there's a lot of considerations like that, that you don't know unless you try it or you, you know, you dry practice it or somebody shows you how to do it. Uh, I thought I had the revolver thing pretty well whipped and Chuck Haggard broke out a reloading technique that I had never seen before ever. Uh, that he learned from Claude Warner that who knows where Claude Warner learned it, but, uh, or just came up with it, uh, with carrying loose ammo in your pocket and how to get it, how to make your, uh, your off gun hand a, a cup and load out of the cup, you know? And I thought, man, that's, that's brilliant. Why didn't I ever think of that 15 years ago? But there have been a lot of people that have put in a lot of work on these things. And, um, you know, I'll throw a shout to Dave Spalding and one of his, combative pistol classes is you know he breaks out the duct tape and welds your hand shut and makes you work around the gun uh there's there's just not a lot of people out there that are you know we focus on draw to first shot and how gear and and all these other uh minor subset reloading and emergency reloads and all that stuff but not a lot of people out there going and focusing on okay, I can't use my hand and I still have to make this gun work. And, uh, you know, fortunately we're in the golden era of, uh, semi-autos. So pretty much everything's ambidextrous now, uh, revolvers are not. <laughs> so, oh. so that's a consideration you have to make. So, well, what else have we got? I, I like it. I like this conversation. Well, uh, just, you know, think about everything that you need to do not only to protect yourself when you're in public areas, but also at home. And so uh, I'm okay with weapon-mounted lights, but I believe a weapon-mounted light is used for a specific purpose and within a home, especially when you've got other family members. It's not done. It's not your primary light for searching. Right. So uh, that's that's a that's a function for a handheld. Well, in many instances. Uh, depending upon the injury that you might sustain or just, you know, whatever the situation is, uh, you cannot grasp your flashlight, your handheld flashlight, in the position that you are accustomed to. So, I mean, in studio, I actually brought this little flashlight here, and uh, this is just a little stream light that I yeah. use when I take trips, and I can actually use your cast. I can with actually it. use my cast to go ahead. That still allows me to use this as a uh, handheld light that I can hold away from my head. I can mask. I can actually even do a strobe with the thing. I can do all sorts of things. Well, now, I don't really know what another person's injury might be, but my recommendation to any of our listeners is that uh, give some consideration to the fact that you probably still need to be able to use a handheld light if possible and see what you can kind of... uh, Jerry rig, if you will, yeah. in order to make that work for you. I watched a, a video the other night. One of my <coughs> uh, favorite pastimes when everything was, the world was kind of shut down was I'd get on YouTube and look up uh, cooking videos and then <laughs> uh, old police training videos. And one of the cooking videos that kind of inspired me to do a lot more one-handed work. And you're like, what does cooking have to do with guns? They had, uh, one of the popular YouTube channels uh, where one of 
the the host friends as a doctor and set his arm in a cast and then timed him to see if he could do this 30 minute meal and still achieve you know a successful outcome with basically one hand that was inoperable and i was like here's a guy that does it for making a you know making an apple pie or something but the defensive community maybe we could take a little you know take a little note from that and go oh you know maybe i need to figure out figure this out one-handed um and especially if you're not doing any off gun hand shooting oh my gosh that is the achilles heel of most of the shooters that i know being able to do that offhand shooting and i just had a thought and uh, you don't necessarily have to be injured in order to be compromised uh similar to me um uh, Basically, if you've got a, I was just thinking about this. I stopped at Starbucks earlier. Uh, if you got a baby on your hip, you are yeah. basically in the same position because that arm is tied up. Yeah. And so it's like, well, is there any possibility that you may ever find yourself in a situation in which you're not able to use that arm? And given some thought to that in advance, uh, may actually save your life someday. If you're actually in that situation or you're even injured during an altercation with another person, then all of a sudden you're not able to use that arm. And I believe his name was uh, Ed Morales. Okay. And he was basically one of the heroes of the uh, FBI shooting when basically he took out uh, the two felons after everyone else was either combat ineffective or basically, I mean, had just been shot to pieces after he had taken, I believe, a two-two-three round through the forearm. Yeah. I believe he said that basically when he looked at it, it looked like his arm had turned inside out. And uh, he finished that fight with actually with an 870 pump shotgun. Yeah. And then uh, walked up to the vehicle with a, I believe it was a Model 13. I'm not yeah. sure. And uh, finished it one-handed with a revolver. Yeah, one of the – I remember reading a statement from from him shortly after that. I mean, I was a kid, not that I was into, you know, macabre or morbid reading, but that was a popular incident at the time. I mean, when my dad opened his gun shop, it was two years after that. Okay. So, you know, the 1006 and the Delta Elites were in high, high demand at that point. But <laughs> he talked about uh, – reloading his revolver one-handed and realizing there was bone fragments in a couple of the cylinders and he couldn't get couldn't get ammo to seat so but he was he was trained enough with an 870 to understand how to operate that one-handed and uh, as daryl says feed the pig one-handed and uh, managed to finish that fight so yeah that was that's a great example um of uh you know being able to adapt and 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 it, I would imagine being an FBI guy, he had probably been trained on how to operate those things one-handed too. Uh, when I went through the police academy, we were we had a, almost an entire day of of just one-handed manipulations and you know pinning the gun under your leg and reloading and stuff like that with uh, semi-autos and shotguns. Right, right, right. Um, and we just about oh. <coughs> We just about a month ago had uh, an in-service where we did everything was uh, one-handed manipulations, and we we put ankle weights over our our dominant hand and our off-gun hand, 
And there were people that literally hadn't done that in 20 plus years. So pretty eye-opening experience to a lot. And uh, if you guys caught my social media post where I said, best insert, you know, that's the, the best in-service I've seen in a long time. And that's only twice in my career I've said that. Um, that was probably one of the most valuable uh, lessons, I would think, for just the general population of, of law enforcement officers out there um, was to work around and then do it safely. You know, I mean, you can take yourself out of a fight just as easy as somebody else can. If you, you know, fingers go in the wrong place and, you know, magazines and the guns pointing in the wrong direction, uh, it can be pretty catastrophic what you can do to yourself. So, well, uh, I like it. You got any final thoughts on this one? Uh, not so much other than, you know, you and I have been training for years for all of these hypothetical situations we could find ourselves in. And just by chance, I found myself yeah. in one we talked about, and I actually got to see some things from, okay, I've got, I've got to deal with this stuff on a daily basis. And I don't think anything that I mentioned was particularly insightful. It's just like, okay, now I confirm that, okay, yeah, this is difficult, but just by making some subtle adjustments and, you know, kind of working with your gear a little bit and making some good decisions and committing yourself to just being, okay, I'm going to, you know, amp up my awareness. And maybe that's not a bad way to live the rest of my life anyway. It was just something I kind of wanted to uh, pitch to you. And I very much appreciate you uh, having me on. All right. Well, hang out and I'll roll us out. Thanks, Steve Moses, for being in studio today. A reminder, check out our sponsors, Excess Sites, Elite Survival Systems, CCW Safe, EDC Belt Company, and a reminder, sign up for that Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. you got to sign up weekly to be eligible, and they're giving away some great gear. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.